We would have gotten uh, to meet his wife, Sarah, and their little girl, Emma, but uh, Sarah's dad is actually in the hospital at UAB. He had open-heart surgery a few days ago, and yesterday, uh, Micah called and said they're uh, taking him back from uh, Florence down to, back to UAB, so we pray for Sarah's dad. Also, he didn't tell you about his grandmother. The best part is she wrote that song, Louisiana Woman, Mississippi Man. Do y'all know that? That's, uh, that's her. That's, uh, that's the one who wrote that. If you have your Bibles, Genesis, the first book of the Bible is where we're going to read from this morning. We're going to read from Genesis 30 and 31. I'm not going to read all the texts. The, the title of the, of the message I gave is a, a song that's just been ringing in my ears. It's, it's accompanying a lot of uh, commercials on television, actually written back in 1981 by a group called The Clash, and it's... Uh, should I stay or should I go? My hunch is they're like, by the way, I'm not the one asking that question. Don't get excited. I'm not the one asking that question. Nor are we asking it about Micah. We've, I, I've already decided what God wants you to do, so we're not talking to you. But my hunch is there are lots of us who are at that, one of those points in life, one of those proverbial crossroads where we're wondering, maybe something very similar to that, should I stay or should I go? A student is wondering, should I go off to college or should I stay here and go to Drake State or Calhoun? I've got a call, maybe somebody would say from a headhunter, should I stay or should I go? My, I'm aging and my kids are wanting me to come live with them, should I stay or, or should I go? I've, I've been laid off and I'm wondering, is this the end of all good things or is this the beginning of some maybe great opportunity? Should I go back to school to do what I've always wanted to do? Should I stay or should I go? It's possible that some of us here are asking similar questions. If so, I think we can learn something from the story of Jacob. Jacob is an unusual character. He's a big deal in the Bible. Jacob's name was changed by God eventually to Israel, of course, from which we get the name of the nation Israel. But Jacob had an unusual beginning. You might remember he was a twin, he and Esau, Esau being the older and the more burly. And then, I'm not going to tell the whole story of his young adulthood, but you might remember that he tricked, he tricked his blind father Isaac into giving him the blessing that really belonged to Esau, the firstborn, including the inheritance and then that important fatherly blessing. And Esau was furious when Rachel, their mother, found out, and she preferred Jacob. She said, Jacob, Esau is madder than a, a, a mule-eating briars, and you better get out of here. He will kill you. She said, go up north to my brother Laban's place. Laban lived up in what is now southern Turkey. And she said, go up there, get away for a while, and, and let Esau cool off a bit. And so Jacob did. He went up into, up into Mesopotamia, now southern Turkey, and he began to work with the flocks of his uncle. And he settled down, began to work there, fell in love, and married both of Laban's daughters, Rachel and uh, Leah. Uh, and, um, he, and that's, by the way, he married two. He married two women, and, and they were both his cousins, I know. But that's a whole other story, and that's another culture and time. But he... He settled down and he had a good, he was doing well with the herds. And then, and then he had the, the decision to make. Should I stay or should I go? 
And if you are in a similar situation, maybe you can learn something, we can learn something from this unusual story of a man named Jacob. First, in Genesis 30, verse 25, he paid attention to the desires of his heart. Genesis 30, verse 25, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. Jacob longed to go home. He was homesick for Canaan. He just wanted to go home. The desire of his heart was to go home. It felt right to go there. That was his heritage. That was the land promised to his grandfather, Abraham. Sometimes the desire of our hearts, what feels right, is right. When I was 20 years old, the summer after my sophomore year at Samford, I was down near Guntersville. I'm not sure exactly where we were. I remember being at a, at a little church in the countryside around Guntersville. I remember going my first time to the top of the river, and I thought that was really great. We were leading a youth revival, and I was not the preacher. I was the song leader. But uh, at lunch on Sunday, at the, at the conclusion of that youth revival, sitting at the pastor's uh, lunch table, I remember saying, now I, again, I was not the preacher, I had never preached, but I said to him, you know, there's part of me that would really like to be a pastor, but that's not what I'm going to do. I was not a ministerial student, again, never had preached. And he said, be careful. It's not natural to want to be a pastor, and that might be what God uh, leads you to do. Over two years later, I was now down in Caracas, Venezuela, living as a missionary journeyman, working alongside career missionaries. We were downtown Caracas. I had been to a big youth rally at Central Baptist Church in downtown Caracas, and I was crossing a, a street that was so wide, multiple lanes, and really busy. And I remember leaving one side and thinking as I stepped, it's just an odd experience, stepping into the street and thinking, you know, I love living here. I love living in another country. I love trying to learn another language. I love people who don't look like me and whose culture is not the same as mine. And then I, the next thought was, you know, a lot of people don't feel that way. And then the third thought was, this is, this is what God prepared me for all along. The desire of my heart was to do that. And by the time I left one side of the street and got to the other side, I knew that God had called me to be an international missionary. We came, I came home at the end of the tour. Uh, Carrie and I got married, went to seminary, went back to Nigeria. And some of you have heard the story. We couldn't stay more than four years. My dad had a massive stroke. Family responsibilities kept us here. But recognizing the desires of my heart that day in Caracas shapes me to this very day. What are the desires of your heart, your dreams? Now, we have to be careful. Our emotions will mislead us. Sometimes our desires are selfish. But sometimes what feels right is right. Pay attention. If you're at one of those crossroads, should I stay or should I go? What should I do? Follow. Think about, at least take seriously, the desires of your heart. Jacob did. Second, Consider the circumstances. Chapter 31, verse 2. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Jacob's brother-in-laws and his father-in-law were, were not happy with him. It was obvious that Jacob's work there as a herdsman was going to be difficult. 
the circumstances said, the time is right for you to go. Now, we have to be careful here, too. We, we can't just leave because we're discouraged. We can't just change schools and jobs and spouses because we've had a bad day. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy, the very beginning of his first letter to his young protege, Timothy, the third verse of the first chapter says, stay in Ephesus. Ephesus was a hard place. Timothy had a hard job, and he was young. He had obviously said to Paul, man, take me to an easier gig. This is hard. But Paul said, no, stay in Ephesus. It's a, it's a matter of discernment. If, things, if the circumstances are saying, maybe it's time to go, we take those seriously, but we don't, we don't leave just because we're discouraged. It's, imp- it's important to know when, it is, when it's time to, to let go of the rope. My friend Randy Ashcraft told me what I think is a great story about his little sister learning to ski. They were out in the water. Older brother was driving the boat. His little, his little sister was bobbing in the water with her ski uh, jacket on, her, her skis pointed skyward. The older brother was giving the instructions. He says, in, he said, in a minute, I'm going to give it gas. When you tell me you're ready, I'll give it the gas. The rope will pull tight, and it's going to get hard. But he said, whatever happens, don't let go of the rope. So that was what's in her head. So, you know, if you ever tried to ski, you know what it's like. Gave it gas, rope got taut. And the waters, you know, there's a wall of water going in your ears and your nose and your eyes. And she remembered, but she fell over. She didn't come up, and she fell over sideways, and the boat was dragging her. And Randy said, my goodness, she's going to drown. She would not let go of the rope. Mercifully, in a few seconds, the boat, to power the boat, to pull the rope, the handle out of her hands. The moral of this story is, if you let go of the rope too quickly, you never learn to ski. If you lose, if you leave your job too quickly, if you leave too soon, you know, the next day they may transfer that annoying boss of yours somewhere else, and you just left. Maybe they were going to give you the job. If you you leave too soon, you might leave the day before. All that research you've been doing pays off, and something really important happens. So don't leave too early. But if you hang on to the rope too long, you might drown. Jacob just knew that circumstances, the the proverbial handwriting on the wall was, it's time. My heart says go home. Jacob and my cousins are, are not happy with me. It's just time to go. But here's the most important part. The creator of the universe spoke to Jacob. Chapter 31, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. God himself spoke to Jacob. In the Bible, God often talks to people. Does that ever make you wonder? I often wonder exactly how did he speak to people? Did did they literally audibly hear him? Or did he impress something upon their hearts? His word says that he will speak to us. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. 
Isaiah 30, 21, whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. It is possible to stand at the crossroads of life and have the creator of the universe speak to you. This is the way, walk in it. Now, when the Bible talks about hearing a voice, I believe that's generally metaphor or symbol or poetry. Generally speaking, I believe that when, we, when God speaks to us, it's a deep, profound impression. It's a deep sense of rightness, a deep sense of oughtness. Francis Collins was, for a long time, you might know that name, he was head of the Human Genome Project. His work uh, made possible a lot of wonderful research on uh, on disease. Much of what Hudson Alpha does is based on what Francis Collins and the Human Genome Project did. Then he became head of the director of the National Institute of Health. But in 1999, he was on the faculty of the University of Michigan when he got a call from the search committee of the Human Genome Project, and they wanted him to head it up. He said, I wasn't looking and I wasn't interested. But the very possibility of of making such a contribution to humanity was haunting me. The very possibility of doing something that could make a big difference in the world of disease, he said, kept haunting me. And he went to see his daughter, to visit his daughter in North Carolina, a planned visit. And he spent, he said, I, I spent an afternoon in a chapel praying. And this is what he said. I did not hear God speak. In fact, I have never had that experience. But during those hours, a peace settled over me. A few days later, I accepted the offer. I believe God spoke to Francis Collins. And I believe he will speak to you. But here's the deal. Do you remember experiencing God? Some of us went through that years and years ago. Henry Blackaby said, the key to hearing the voice of God is not a formula and it's not a method. In other words, I can't give you four easy steps or five secrets to hearing the voice of God. He said it's not a method, it's not a formula. He said it grows out of an intimate love relationship with God. So if you're a follower of Jesus, nurture that relationship. Get involved in a Sunday morning Bible study. Surround yourself with friends who love you and know you and will tell you the truth, give you good advice. Become a student of the Bible. Become a student of prayer. I have found fasting to be really important at those crossroads of life. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, turn turn with all that you have and all that you are to give all that you have and all that you are to Jesus and enter into that lifelong pilgrimage or journey of of following Jesus. And by, by Jesus entering into that intimate love relationship with God, I believe the creator of the universe speaks and says, this is the way. But he doesn't speak from afar. He doesn't yell across the street. It's an intimate love relationship. So if you're at a an important juncture, then 
Pay attention to the good and noble desires of your heart. Consider the circumstances and listen for the whisper of your Creator. I want to wrap up with this. I want you to know that you, you play a part, a big part, in God's plan to the world. And your decisions, though you don't recognize the implications of those decisions, feed into what God is doing in the world. Think about Jacob. Jacob just wanted to go home. His father-in-law wasn't happy with him. And God said, Jacob, go home. To Jacob, it was just going home. But to God, Jacob was playing a part in in his grand plan for, for planet Earth. Through Jacob, God would establish his people in the land of Canaan. Jacob just wanted to go home. When I was in the ninth grade at Cobb Junior High down at Anniston High School, I, there was a teacher, Mr. Thompson, up at the high school, said, won't you come and be part of the Fiddler on the Roof? Said, we're doing a spring musical. I didn't know what a musical was. I'd never heard of Fiddler on the Roof. But I knew that at Anniston High School, there were 10th, 11th, and 12th, 12th grade girls. And I thought, yeah, that sounds like a good idea to me. So, <laughs> so I went over there to Anniston High School, and they, they gave, gave us... Um, folders with music and we started learning songs and I thought well a musical is a concert and then after several weeks they brought in a guy and 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 a lady Jane Holloway came down from Jacksonville State and helped us learn dances choreography I thought well we're gonna sing and dance that's pretty cool and then we got closer to the performance, and, and they were interspersed between our songs. These people sang lines, these wonderfully gifted high school actors playing Tevya and Golda and other characters and Fiddler on the Roof, and I thought, this is bigger than I thought. And then they gave us costumes. We got to wear costumes. And then there was a set, this elaborate set. And on the night of the dress rehearsal, the orchestra showed up. I didn't know there was going to be an orchestra. I had three lines in Fiddler on the Roof. I could still quote them for you today. The sec- we only did two performances. The second night, they stepped on my third line, but I'm not bitter about that. I'm, I've moved on. See, I, just, I was just learning three lines and the bass part to the songs. I didn't know till we till it all unfolded that I was part of something big. I didn't know it, but the director all the while was pulling people together based on their giftedness. All the while, I was just a part of, of a grand plan. The director was, was recruiting people, artistic people to work on the set, technical people to work on the lights and the sound. Musical people to sing, actors to play the main parts. I, just, I was just learning my little lines and the bass part to the music. Friends, if, you are a, if you're an engineer or an intern, if you're a mechanic or a missionary, 
If you're a student or a stay-at-home parent, you are part of what the, the grand master of the universe is up to. Now, you may not know it yet. In fact, it may be when all is said and done, Maybe God will give us a chance to see what little part we played in the grand plan. But we do have a responsibility to do our very best to play the part that the creator of the universe, the director, if you will, wants us to play. So follow the good and noble desires of your heart. Weigh the circumstances. Listen for the voice of God, and maybe one day we'll see the part that you and I played in what God himself has been doing.